we're still talking about Scott. Like, move on. Like, right. You have magical powers. Yeah. Do something else. <laughs> you know. Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love. I'm Kat Spada, and today we're diving into a vast Canadian action romance as we discuss the new animated series Scott Pilgrim Takes Off and other elements of the Scott Pilgrim Extended Universe. The new eight-episode Netflix series from Brian Lee O'Malley and Ben David Grabinski is based both on the original graphic novels written and drawn by O'Malley beginning in 2004 and the live-action film adaptation from 2010 directed by Edgar Wright. Michael Sarah is Scott Pilgrim, my number one movie nemesis, who is infatuated with manic pixie literal dream girl Ramona Flowers, as played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Their relationship kicks off a series of battles against Ramona's League of Evil Exes, all while Scott's friends and bandmates are pursuing their own success. The movie and the series share main cast members but diverge in major plot elements, so be aware that we will be spoiling both in our discussion. Ramona. The girl of my dreams? time to wake up, dude. I had a dream about that girl again. I didn't care the first time you told me. I care even less now. Hey, wanna go out sometime? You wanna go on a date with me? Ramona Flowers has seven evil exes, all of whom you must defeat in order to date her. What? Joining me this week is artist Ethan Harper, a cartoon and comic-style illustrator. He's worked on projects for DreamWorks TV, Frederator, and more, including Our Flag Means Death, BM Puppycat, and Our Frasier Remake. You can currently find him at the premier animation art auction house, the Van Eaton Galleries, and producing the upcoming Clone High podcast, Remember the Memories. This episode may also serve as a public round of couples therapy, as Ethan is my partner, and we are a house divided when it comes to Scott Pilgrim. Bum, bum, bum. Welcome to the show. Hi, hi. I haven't talked to you in ages. <laughs> we are recording in separate rooms of our house after having just finished watching this series. Uh, um, uh, uh. You know, thanks for coming on the show. No problem. We've done some podcasting together in the past. A little bit. You came on my Beverly Hills 90210 podcast uh, a few years back, and we worked together on the Clone High podcast. But this is an interesting one because I certainly did not invite you here to mansplain Scott Pilgrim to me, but at the same time, what? I'm, didn't, I didn't invite you here to lecture you and tell you you should not like a thing that I don't care for. I've been misled. I was told I was coming on <laughs> exclusively to mansplain Scott Pilgrim to you. Uh, you lo- led me here under false pretenses. You harpy? Oh, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not, not true. I, I appreciate that even in jest, you're like unsure about saying the word calling me a harpy. I would never. So let's start with the movie. Sure. Because... It's both of our first, like, interaction with Scott Pilgrim, right? I don't think you read the comics much or at all until after the movie came out. I definitely read a little bit of it, but I remember being, you know, you're learning, even though I've been a comics reader since I was very young, 
and I know the language of comics very well. I'm not as well versed in like manga as a lot of people, mm-hmm. and I'm not as much of a gamer as a lot of people, <laughs> especially a lot of my peers that are involved in comics and animation. Um, weirdly, but uh, so when I when I did read the little bit that I did, I kind of found it hard to get into because I was like, oh, it's this little slice of like comic about 20 somethings in Canada. And then suddenly it like shifts gears into like this action scene. And I'm a big, I'm a big action nerd. I love action stuff and film and especially in comics when it works well. Um, but that shift between like tones within the comic, I was like, oh, this is really hard to like get into. Yeah. It's so kind of jarring. And again, even though I'm well-versed in, in kind of the, the, the way the comics are read, the language of comics, uh, that was tough for me. And so I was like, this is, you know, I couldn't like get into it right away. And again, I think because it was so video game centric, I was like, yeah, this isn't my cup of tea, but I liked the style and it was, you know, funny in the way that, you know, 20 something slacker kind of energy, which is like the perfect age for me when I first read it. But I was like, yeah, I'm not feeling this hundred percent. So I didn't read a terrible lot of it. And then when they announced that they were going to do a movie, I was like, well, that's an utter fool's errand because how are they going to possibly? Yeah capture that energy for like a general audience that I'm like right on the edge of, but any normie that would be watching it would be like a hundred percent rejected. And then I heard that Edgar Wright was doing it and I thought, Oh, well, if someone were to maybe be able to do this, it'd be him. But I still kind of doubt he could pull it off. And at that point, like you were already a big Sean of the dead fan. Correct. I was a very, very yeah. big, yeah. Edgar Wright fan specifically for Sean and hot fuzz. And, I remember the trailer came out and I went, wow, that looks like he really did nail it. But I was like, it's still a trailer. Who really knows? You know, a trailer yeah. could be great. But I was like, still kind of very doubtful that he could pull it off. And then when I actually went and saw the movie, I was like, absolutely blown away at how incredibly perfectly he executed it. And I was just like, the soundtrack blew me away. And the, everything about it, I was, I was madly yeah. loved it. I saw it several times. So uh, this is such an era. This movie came out in 2010. Of yeah. the like cute, uh, young youth culture, cute white youth culture, like cinema, which was mm-hmm. very squarely in my wheelhouse at this age. So I was really excited for the movie, not knowing anything about it. Uh. Um, I don't know if you remember or if I've told you <laughs> the details of this story from when. My friends and I went to Comic-Con when Superbad was being announced. And right. we were huge Michael Sarah fans because of uh, certainly Arrested Development and then probably Juno. Like, you know, right. at the time, we were the perfect audience for Juno. Um, weirdly, didn't see uh, Jennifer's body until a couple of weeks ago. And it was like also right in that era. It has some of the same cast members, young Neil P.S. is in Jennifer's body. Oh, really? Um, oh, I did not. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny <laughs> He's Simmons, like one yeah. of the main characters. Um, so, yeah, when Superbad was going to be at Comic-Con, we were like, we're going to meet Michael Sarah. Like, we were so yeah. excited. And my friend gave him our hotel room number at the Q&A oh, right. in yes, all yes, age. Yes which mercifully nobody paid attention to. Uh And so I think, you know, I was probably there opening weekend for Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And I think I get about 10 minutes into that movie before I lose my patience with it. What year was super bad? 2008? 
Yeah, I think so. Is that is that right? Should we look that up? Yeah. Because I mean, well, I don't know how big of a I remember gap it was Comic Con 2007, so it was like two okay, yeah, years yeah. or so in between. Yeah, that tracks. Because yeah, I I mean, I saw I was a big Michael Sarah fan. Not I'm sure in the same way, uh, but like I was a big fan of his from Arrested Development, and then yeah. Superbad I thought was hilarious. And I remember meeting him and Jonah Hill when they were babies, like coming through Philadelphia on tour to promote the movie. Um. But yeah, to think about you being a little younger than me and being really into him and into those first couple of movies of his, but then Scott Pilgrim, even just a couple of years later, do you feel like I think it's a big it's a big couple of years, yeah, right, like, yeah. Like, do you think you might have been more interested in it if it had come out two thousand eight versus two thousand ten or whatever? Maybe I graduated from co- from high school in two thousand four, from college in two thousand eight. Uh, so yeah. I think. Being in college and still a teenager and seeing Juno and being like, wow, teens who are so witty and they're struggling with this big story, you know, is one thing. And then to be by 2010 to have like gone and lived in the world and gotten a job and like had maybe some more like grown, like slightly more grown up relationships to then be like, good God, imagine someone (laughs) I know being like this and then all of us having to deal with it all the time yeah and like just hit too close to home yeah and i think you know i've i've certainly been reading a lot of discourse the last few days since the animated series came out which is scott pilgrim takes off and a lot of people are saying like the 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 conversation about whether or not scott is a good a bad person is like tired that's like old news and probably it is (laughs) but uh, when you and I started watching the series, you asked me, like, I know you don't like Scott, but do you like the movie? And that's such an interesting question because, <laughs> as has been discussed on the pod, I do not like Agent Cooper. And so watching Twin Peaks <laughs> and trying to have an opinion about it right. is it's different when there's a scene that Agent Cooper's not in. Yeah. Uh, so... I did go back and rewatch about half of the movie today with that in mind. Like, do I like this movie? Do I like it regardless of Scott? Because it is objectively so creative. It really does a great job of like visually representing comics in a way. And like indie early aughts comics, you know, it's not, it's certainly not (laughs) Angley's Hulk. Right. No, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, But yeah. It's, um, here's like the thing is that the movie Scott infects it. Like every character is talking about Scott or like dealing with Scott. Right. And that I think is a problem. But of course, like it's a problem for me enjoying the movie. But yeah, of course, Chris Evans shows up. We're going to have a good time. Like, yeah, (laughs) the action is amazing. So, yeah. So, you know. I have what is eight years on you, right? So like yeah. in 2010, I was 30. Yeah. And so that's a significant difference at that time. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, between 22 and 30, that's like a huge difference. At least it was in my life. Um, and I mean, and obviously it, the fact that I'm a white cis male uh, that's raised on a bunch of the same kind of junk. Um, so it's like weirdly the character and the premise and the whole vibe of the thing is like nostalgic for me in the sense that like, I I thankfully don't believe that I was ever as horrible of a creature as Scott. Um, but like, you know, I've just been a young, dumb boy 
Mm-hmm. And like, again, thankfully never dated an underage person or, you know, or <laughs> anything terrible like that. But um, yeah, so it's like I identify with it because I was like, oh, yeah, this is kind of the vibe of that era. And it's just, you know, nostalgic in a weird way. And yet, of course, I can acknowledge like, oh, yeah, Scott's a total like shithead. Uh, but, you know, I do kind of like that they, you know, the movie doesn't make anyone really like, you know, she is this man of pixie dream girl, but I feel like they're also like, well, yeah, but she's just a messed up early 20 something like Scott is. Again, I'm not saying that that's like, that that makes him any more bearable just because she is, but it's obviously, yeah, it's it's so centered on him. It's just like, okay. Yeah. And I mean, I definitely, I I said that about her, and I don't think it's wrong to say that, but there is, like, a specific definition of what a manic pixie dream girl is, as Garden State and Elizabethtown, I think, are the two. uh, Right. Even um, Eternal Sunshine, people say, although I think that gives her, gives Clementine a little bit more depth, but... Yeah, and she, uh, like, addresses that head-on. Yeah, and Ramona has more depth than... Yeah. uh, you know, the the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, like, only exists for the protagonist. Right. And in this, like, in some ways, she is the protagonist because she, it's her relationship history that is propelling right. the story forward. Yeah. Um, but, like, the fact that she's literally in his dreams and yeah. then shows up and just kind of... Okay. does what he wants or like you know fits into the thing that he wants um and yeah of course like i don't begrudge you for watching this movie and seeing like yeah hasn't everyone like i don't know i can kind of identify with like young neil like being on the couch yeah. in the room yeah. where the band yeah. is is rehearsing and being like yeah my friends are in a band um i certainly place myself into knives and a little bit of Ramona, mostly knives, but yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, I don't mean to apply that I identify with Scott himself, regardless of like, oh, I've never done this as bad as Scott. But I was like, I don't think I was ever like him uh, on any level. I think it's just the whole group of them, that energy, that like, oh, they're yeah. in their early twenties, they're living together in houses, they're you know mooching off one another and and just kind of doing that thing. They're kind of just these aimless twenty-something you know, semi-creative, mostly idiotic, you know? Yeah. I was thinking about it earlier, and it kind of reminds me of the same way that, like, the music I was raised on. My dad raised me on primarily classic rock, as you know. So there's all this stuff from that era that's just, like, and this is a larger extension, like, the way that I kind of view this movie, where, like, it just really gets me going because it's so well done on a technical level. Yeah. And it, it hits all my things where it's like, oh, it's adapting a comic book and it's got all these influences. And even though I already mentioned that, like, a lot of them are not my interests or, or influences as strongly as some others, but it's still enough of it that it really, like, just gets me revved up. It's like, oh, it's great action and it's very witty and it's all this stuff. But then, you know, when I listen to stuff like that, like old classic rock songs where you're like, when you start to think about what these are actually saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you start to put them in the context of the era. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, this was like a bunch of touring musicians sleeping with underage girls across the country. Yeah. And, but you know, and it, you know, this is the whole larger conversation about like art versus the artist, how to separate them and yada, yada, yada. And it's true. It's, it is hard sometimes when we are in it. And that's, and it is kind of like, okay to be like, well, this objectively is a piece of, art is good 
but it doesn't mean that I need to like continue to support bad, whatever I'm, I'm taking this right. too serious well, direction, but, you know, but, but I think of it in the same way where I'm just like, Oh yeah, I love these ACDC songs. They're so good, but they're just like horrific when you like listen to the lyrics. So it's like, yeah, Scott Pilgrim is cool, but exactly. Scott's character is kind of like, Ooh. Yeah. And like listeners, if you want to hear me grapple with this a little <laughs> more and go back and check out the Rosemary's baby episode where we talked about like, you can't have the artist, but the art, you have to have the artist and the art. And this is different. Cause like, I don't know anything about Brian Lee O'Malley. He might uh, be the best guy on the planet, but <laughs> the art that he created does depict a main character that like, assumedly you're supposed to root for. And I do think that's like the difference between saying, oh, it's okay. Of course, it's okay for a protagonist to be a bad person. Like we all, The Sopranos is a fantastic, compelling, <laughs> you know, dramatic engine of a show. Yeah. And it's about somebody that is objectively like violent and you yeah. know, uh, abusive to women and to so many others, racist. Uh, with Scott, it's like, I, I'm not necessarily caring about, like, whether or not he's a good person, but that, right. like, the entire lens of the thing is, right. Right. you know, are, aren't we going to be happy when he gets the girl? Right. And that, to me, is, like, a zero nil on the, on right. the scale, on the feedback scale for me. So everything else, I'm like, cool fight, yes. Cool, yeah. fun, nostalgic music. Yes. All of those web belts and low slung jeans like absolutely puts me in a time and place, the my manic panic hairdo era. But yeah. But so it has been, you know, we can't I can't even list like all the things that Scott Pilgrim has grown to become in the yeah. 13 years since the movie came out, which is uh more comics, video game. Uh, video game re-release, all sorts of things. And then yeah. this show, I think, has been really buzzy for a lot of different oh, yeah. reasons. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I just heard, like, oh, the cast is coming back. Yeah. Well, and I, I just want to say one last thing about, too. I obviously started launching into, like, a much broader conversation about that whole thing. And I should say, too, like, when I was watching the film, too, I don't think of Scott as like this just abhorrent, horrible, like creature of a person. It's like, yeah, he's just a young, dumb 20 year old. And so, yeah, it's like, even when I was watching it, it wasn't necessarily that I was rooting for Scott. Mm -hmm. I was like more rooting for like Ramona and everyone else, too. It's like, and, and again, I always end up taking that like, I think like, oh, at the end of the movie, it's kind of a more optimistic ending where it's like, oh, Scott's grown up a smidge. And Ramona's grown up a smidge and they go off and try and maybe give it another shot. So I kind of like the overall, like, yeah, it's just a bunch of young dummies, but they're taking baby steps towards like maturity. And like, that's all it needed to be for me because it was entertaining. So it's like, I didn't need it to be anything too crazy, but then that's why I can completely understand also why you were like, it's not for me. Like, I don't, yeah, there's no real investment there, understandably, but uh, yeah, Scott's not the worst character <laughs> ever, but he's well, just, you know. It makes me Everyone want agrees to, he's not the best character in the movie. <laughs> it makes me want to rewatch Empire Records mm. and School of Rock. Mm. Because I think Dewey at the beginning of School of Rock is kind of the same level of piece <laughs> of shit as Scott. Sure. Where sure. like, 
no, I'm not like calling the police on him. He's like, hasn't even kissed yeah. this like 17 year old he's going out with. I don't think he's like a war criminal, right? Right. He's just, right. A, he's just a turd, right? Like he's yeah. someone I do not root for. I feel like if he does learn a lesson, it's going to be at the expense of several others. And I'm, count me out, right? <laughs> do we like, do, he learns his lessons at the expense of his roommate, Mike White, <laughs> at <Right>. the <laughs> right. nagging of Mike White's girlfriend, Sarah Silverman. Right. And like by doing a lot of unethical stuff. Yeah. Right. But yeah. But of course, like I am on board for his journey <laughs> in that movie. Yeah. Because like it becomes and like, you know, I, maybe this is this is why I'm saying I want to rewatch it. I want to rewatch it and think about it in context. And then with Empire yeah. Records, it's like I can't tell you anything about any of those characters. I assume all of them are just kind of fucking around in the same way right. that all of the Scott Pilgrim people are. Yeah. And that to me is another one where it's like, oh, it doesn't matter to me what who any of them are or what they do, but that they're there for the record store <laughs> is just kind right. of like why I'm on board. Well, and there's a good, maybe that's what it is, is that you also realize that in Scott Pilgrim, none of the characters are fighting for any kind of larger good or anyone else outside of that little sphere. It's literally just like, oh, well, Scott and Ramona end up together. There's not a school. There's not a... Yeah. The, well, the Battle of the Bands. <laughs> right. Yeah. Maybe the Battle of the Bands, I guess that's true. You know, you're, you're hoping that Sex Bob-omb gets that contract with Gideon Graves or whatever, but not really. That's, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's even when watching the movie, I was like, oh, I just want poor Kim to not feel like a piece of crap because Scott Denker, when they were in, like, in junior high or whatever, I, I, like, you yeah. know, there's an alternate ending of the movie where he he ends up with knives that they shot. Yeah. Because everyone oh, yeah. was just, oh, yeah, where everyone's just like, oh, yeah, he should totally end up with knives. And I was like, I don't know if he should because he's kind of an idiot and knives deserves better. And I think everyone agrees that, too. And then it's like, and yeah, Ramona's all messed up. So it's like, again, I kind of like the weird open-ended, like, ah, maybe these two will go off and grow up a little bit more. But yeah, yeah. it's like, there's not a bigger thing that you are invested in. So there's plenty of movies like that that I feel more hollow about. But Scott Pilgrim, I think, was just too much fun. I couldn't resist. I don't <laughs> want him to so end up... so well done. I was about to say, like, no, I want him to end up alone. But I think a Scott Pilgrim that ends up alone is goes full incel, like becomes a violent Ooh. danger right. to society. And so Which maybe I'm like... I'm like, oh, the okay. series now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> the show coming out, it's a Netflix series. It's eight episodes. Um, was really exciting for people because specifically of the entire voice cast returning. Like this is yeah. definitely a cast of actors that were all exciting for for me as an audience member in 2010, but like almost to a one, they're still like exciting and relevant yeah. to what we watch so well, yeah They're fantastic um but tell me a little bit about like is this this is the animation style of the graphic novel like this is all like brian the o'malley getting to really like bring his own kind of stuff to the small screen yeah well i think it's and i mean we were talking about this before i might not be the best uh to cover all of it just because I didn't read the entirety of the runs. And so, you know, even I'm a little bit limited in my understanding of like kind of how different the graphic novels were from the movie. Like I was so smitten with the movie and how well it kind of captured it all in a short format. But I know that the graphic novels got to divert and flesh out a lot of the characters a lot more and, and do more interesting things. So I think 
one of the reasons that it's had a longer that it's had longer legs than if it was just the movie maybe was because I think a lot of the people that were like real big, big fans had a lot more to chew on and a lot more to theorize about and have fun yeah. little fan ideas. But I think Brian gave him a lot more in, in the books than was even in the movie. And then, yeah, the, the style of this cartoon, interestingly, again, even though I'm not the most knowledgeable about all anime or manga, the, but I, I can recognize stylistically that this is, and he said as much that Brian said as much that it's it's kind of like Science Saru, the studio's kind of adaptation of his own style. So they kind of took a little right. bit of his style, but then they yeah. added a little bit of their own, a little bit of anime influence. So it's it's like 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 the movie. It was very much a hybrid of his stuff and 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 the studio stuff and just a general. And it's a Japanese animation studio that's doing the cartoon. Right. Yeah, then, it has like a good. It, it's very pleasant to look at like yeah it's my understanding that science Saru prides themselves on not making anything they do look the same mm. so like they in fact did an episode of adventure time one of my favorite things ever they did like a little one-off episode of that there was a, a couple times that they had guest animators do like full episodes so they did a really trippy crazy looking episode of adventure time it was awesome um and a couple other series i don't know if i've seen that much of what else they've done but little clips i've seen and i remember them talking about this i went to the event a couple weeks ago that they had it revenge of comics and pinball here in la um and they talked at length about how incredible they felt the studio did that they kept getting you know footage back from them and just like blowing their minds because they kept like adding more to it than they expected um so yeah i know it is brian's style but it's like it's a little different like if you were to hold it up right next to his even most recent because his style evolved a lot over like the you know however many years it took him to finish the six volumes of scott pilgrim and then he's done a couple full-length books since then and his style is always changing a little bit but this is like even a little bit further in a in in one direction and you also recently went to a concert of the band that does all the music uh so yeah anna monaguchi was a band of guys who i think initially started out primarily like chiptune music like video game style and they did the soundtrack, the full soundtrack to the Scott Pilgrim video game that they did based on the movie, which is, you know, still kind of based on the graphic novels, but uh, which is an incredible soundtrack. Like, again, not being the biggest game player, but I grew up playing the original Nintendo. And so my favorite game ever probably was Mega Man 2, which has anyone listening that knows is like some of the best video game music ever. Uh, and so they did stuff in that style specifically for the game. And it was great. And then, yeah, for this new series, they, and I forget the guy's name, who was kind of the other main composer behind the show, but they, they collaborated with another person to do like all the music for the show. You even got the Scott Pilgrim game because I got a Switch during 2020 like everyone yes. else. And so I was playing Animal Crossing. Yeah. And you played a little bit of this, like it's a side-scrolling, like, yeah, uh, martial arts game is that right? Is that yeah, like a, a beat 'em up side scroller beat 'em up? I guess they call it. Yeah, uh, and yeah, similarly, like only the handful of games that I played growing up, but that Brian is the same age as me. I think maybe a year older, and he has a lot of the same loves of those classic games. So it's like, oh, it was very like River City Ransom, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, but yeah, these fun little side scroller games. So yeah, I remember when the game came out, and I was like, that looks incredible. But I just didn't even own any kind of a game system. And then it 
I think it was on Xbox or something. I don't know. It, it vanished yeah. for like 10 years. You couldn't get it anywhere unless you had one of the original consoles that you downloaded it on. So people were like rabid for a re-release and then they finally did this insane bells and whistles huge re-release a few years later. And I was excited because I was like, now I can play it on Cat Switch. I have much appreciation for the the mini cycles of like teen or youth uh, culture aesthetic uh-huh. because, you know, just in this conversation, like to go to Empire Records and, or to go to like the games that you're talking about and then kind of yeah. have these little 10, 15 year cycles to come to Scott Pilgrim and then have us watching it and it's already like it's a period piece. You know, there's yeah. so many things in it that are specific to a dying out era. And the other night we had uh, dinner with our friends who have teenage kids. And mm-hmm. one of them was at the Anamanaguchi show that you were at. Yeah. She's 14 and she is a little <laughs> Ramona. Like she, she has looks the little, just like, yeah, <laughs> the little hair, like double dyed hair, do you, and everything. And I was yep. like, I, Something makes me very happy about like the Maltine has to happen. Oh, yeah. Like it's yeah. like it's like the show Dark. Like no matter what universe we're in, the right. Maltine has the to Maltine, happen. The Maltine, exactly. <laughs> no, it's great. So, it is. It's so I I really <clears throat> did appreciate that uh update. So this is a Netflix show. Uh-huh. And in the original, Ramona is an Amazon.ca delivery girl, and in the cartoon she is a netflix dvd delivery girl yeah which is such a strange thing but they do reference how like her job is killing out the local video store um but for anyone who's listened this far half an hour into our episode uh if you haven't watched the show like i've been reading a lot of comments from people who are like i don't know i liked the movie i'm older now i don't know if i need to like watch the same thing but a cartoon and uh ethan take me through like watching the first episode and realizing (laughs) this is where we're going to get into some spoilers realizing that it was a different beast yeah there since they announced it they were like oh this is going to be like a different a slightly different take on the original story and it seemed for a while that they were teasing it as if it was just going to be like oh some minor updates where it's like oh brian's grown up as a person and maybe changed some of the little things in this that were a little bit that felt off or that felt out of touch or whatever. And so it just seemed like it was going to be like a, a small update. And even I remember seeing the trailers for it and thinking like, Oh, that looks fine. It's not like blowing me away. Um, but then when we went to this event last week at the comic shop and then to the concert, it seemed like everyone talking about it was being very verbally saying like, you know, don't let anyone spoil this for you. And the, the tone and the words that they were using made it sound like there was a much larger divergent thing happening than we yeah. were led to believe so that made me like lock down even harder on making sure i didn't read anything about it because it sounded very interesting and very kind of a much bigger deal so then yeah when we finally sat down to watch it just last night uh it was pretty incredible uh, right i guess we're talking spoilers right so at the yeah. end of the first episode which for the most part goes along with the graphic novels and the and the movie with how the story's going and then when the first evil X burst through the ceiling of the rocket to attack Scott and fight him. They start fighting and instantly Scott is defeated and turns into coins. Yeah. Scott is defeated. Not, not, uh, Matthew Patel. Yeah. So that, and then that, you know, credits. So everyone's like, wait, what? Like Scott gets killed right off the bat in the first episode. 
And I was like, oh, this is great. I love the idea. <laughs> They're just completely diverting into this other realm. And then it just kept getting better and better and better from there because it, it went in so many funny and interesting directions and it just shifted the whole tone of it. And yeah, it just made it a much, it just made it a very fun and unexpected alternate version of what we all knew. Yeah. I mean, there were parts of it that because I don't have like a great investment in the characters, there were some things where I was like, oh, I don't really feel one way or the other about like this character having doing going through something that's different than what happened in the movie. But because it takes a different journey, I think it's very inventive. Like I appreciated how kind of the meta commentary of some things yeah. that happened. Like there's a whole storyline that has to do with like the life of Scott Pilgrim being turned into a biopic and them going to the to the back lot to see it be filmed. Right. And it's like kind of ties itself in knots, but in a very funny way. So I was really appreciating it on like it was I was watching it like this is for fans of Scott Pilgrim. This oh, yeah. isn't like for someone who's just, oh, yeah. a cool new show. I'm gonna watch that. I feel yeah. like you wouldn't necessarily get much out no. of it. But I was appreciating like this has some really fun storytelling going on. And then yeah. at the same time, of course, for me, I was like, well, Scott's out of the picture. <laughs> like right. now I'm interested. <laughs> um, but it's like I feel like it kind of I appreciate yeah. Brian and Ben David who created the show probably sat down and were like, okay, so what actually is the point of the seven right. evil exes? Yeah. What do they mean? Like yeah. that I think was very interesting. Yeah. It's making me think of like I was just talking to somebody about this the other day that like yeah, well, you introduced me and people might know the clone high. I have a podcast about Clone High, specifically the original season. And that when I watched it, and even still, I just think of it as like a funny show. It's just comedic. <laughs> it's just silly. I like the visual designs. I like the the humor. You know, and as I've grown up, like, and now I enjoy and appreciate character-based humor where I actually give a crap about the characters more than I do just stuff that's clever and pithy. Or whatever. And so Scott Pilgrim's kind of that same thing where it's like, I'm not actually very emotionally invested in any of these characters. And the same way I'm not very emotionally invested in any of the clone high characters. Where it's like, I'm just here for like a funny thing. Yeah. And, you know, I'm like slightly more invested in this than something like Clone High, where I'm like, oh, I want like knives to 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 be happy. And I want I want there's something to be wrong happy, with but- Liking the sitcom for its situation comedy. Right, know? for the situation, like, exactly. But like, but yeah, but the stuff that I respond to most strongly now is, you know, the Parks and Rec, the, you know, yeah. and Adventure Time, the stuff that I'm really emotionally invested in that still can be very comedic, but that's like my favorite. So Scott Pilgrim's another one of those where I'm like, this is fun, but I don't care about it enough to like be devastated if they don't do right or wrong by this character. I'm just like, yeah, it's, it's really well produced. And I like this because yeah. it, flips a lot of stuff on its head it gives a lot of different characters a more interesting voice and it's still just a really good time with action and comedy and yeah it's a good time it's a very good time and to 
you know, to kind of pull back into the is Ramona Flowers a manic pixie dream girl question in the cartoon, we start following her. Yeah. From the beginning of episode two, I think every episode, except maybe the finale, starts with a sequence of her bleaching and dyeing her hair. Yeah. Um, Which is awesome. And like wiping the steam off the mirror and looking at her own reflection. I thought that was really powerful, actually. Um, Yeah, and Empire Records when Robin Tunney (laughs) shaves her head. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm sure those dudes are influenced by that, too. (laughs) But then... So I did at several points just have to say like, and we were joking because you and I both love Columbo and she, she yeah. references like, oh, well, I'm, I'm here to solve a case. Like she believes that she can figure out what happened to Scott. She doesn't know if when he turned into coins, he actually died or if he just was kidnapped right. into a portal. And I had to kind of be like, Ugh. still we're thinking about Scott. We're still talking about Scott. Like move on. Like, right. You have magical powers. You can travel like a dream highway or whatever. Yeah. Like, do something else. <laughs> you know. Okay. Take that out, out off to the side. And then it's like her engine and she is going through. And this, again, like I wish it kind of went a little further, but right around where that turn happens at the beginning of the season, it kind of answers the question of like, okay, but if the evil exes win right. against Scott, does that mean they win her? Yeah. And it's pretty immediately like, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, if she doesn't want to date them, she's not going to date them. Like, yeah. So that was... And they, they, they're leading you to be like, well, the reason that she's after Scott, which is still kind of the most unbelievable part, because you're like, what is so special, Scott, special about Scott? We don't know, but... You know, they they in this one they have even more of the like even more than in the movie where it's like oh they had this these sparks there was like something yes, that they connected right. you know they allude to it later where it's like Wallace is like sparks are real when he like finally meets yeah. someone that he's not just gonna treat like a one night stand so it's like whatever it is that we can't understand why but you know I sometimes can't wrap my brain around why you're with me so it's like yeah I, <laughs> there's some sparks that were there and you know you're like I, I think I'll stick with this doofus. And this so is why she, she found a doofus that made sparks happen on both of them. And they went, I'll, I'll fight for this guy. And they're both supposed to be what? 22, 23, right? Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is why I identify <laughs> too strongly with knives is because, Oh, I was in high school dating an adult man uh-huh. and it was gross. Yeah. Right. Like, and I knew it was gross as soon as it ended. <laughs> yeah. But until then, I just had her big eyes looking at this, oh, how cool. All this stuff about him is so cool because he's an adult. And now I can't access that until I understand it later. It's kind of funny to think about how in the movie, like, uh, what's the actress name? Ellen Wong? Yeah. Excuse me. Ellen does such a good job. I mean, in both of them, honestly, but she's such a, cartoon the most cartoony on the first one where she's just so big-eyed for scott so in love with him and you know she gets over him but it takes a little while but then in this one it's like he dies and she's like instantly like not sweating it she like starts (laughs) playing music with kim right and then joins steven to play in the band and i was like she really and it was great because it's so funny to think that she's like more of a cartoon in the live action one than she was in the cartoon 
um, in that respect anyway. But yeah, she did such a good job in both of them. They all do, but she really stood out with her, especially her vocal performance. Overall, now, this is a self-contained thing, right? It doesn't seem like they've opened it up to go into another season. I mean, th- that's what everyone's been talking about in the interviews the last couple of days. And that's been, Ben David said as much when we were at the um, Revenge of panel, kind of the first public, I guess, interview they were doing about it. Well, that's not true. I guess they did a screening at the Egyptian before, but uh, sorry, tangent. He said, like, this is a self-contained thing. We wrote a beginning and an end. He said he put like 10,000% of his energy into this. And so he's, even if he were to do more, it would be years from now because he'd just like burn himself out, him and Brian mm-hmm. trying to make this thing happen. So, but they clearly left a little bit of an opening. They did that little epilogue with, right, with what's his name? Goose. Gideon slash. Not Gideon, but yeah. Uh, sorry. Gordon Goose. Gordon Goose and uh, <laughs> and Julie, uh, and and Matthew Patel. I like that they kind of leave that open. But yeah, I'm I'm sure if it if it's does Netflix still not release their numbers? Like if it does as well as it sounds like it's doing in the first week, then yeah. it seems like they'd be foolish not to do more. Especially because this hasn't even come up yet, and I don't know how Netflix does its merchandising. Mm. deals but i mean there are so many scott pilgrim toys and collectibles and figurines and like merch based on just the books and the movie over the last 10 years right that when i was watching this i was like oh i definitely want to waste money on a bunch of really cool figures of old future ramona and her delorean rollerblades like yeah they could make a mint off the merchandise just from the series so it's like in the most consumerist way like yeah you'd think they'd want to do more and it seems like it's getting great word of mouth. But animation is a wild west, though. I mean, really stuff is. does, as far as we know, well on Netflix. Like, right. you and I both were obsessed with City of Ghosts, right. the, it's a, which is a early childhood cartoon, so it's a completely different thing. Yeah. Different, but yeah. it, like, won a Peabody and, like, all sorts yeah. of other things. And then they just unceremoniously would, like, axe parts of their animated division. So yeah, that that as a... As a business model, I feel like we can't ever look to Netflix and know what their decisions are going to be. That's true. Um, The, just because, like, honestly, I could spend the next 10 minutes listing cast members, but Uh this had a few great cameos. I know there was, uh, there, you were very excited about Weird Al. (laughs) Well, I mean, no, I was... uh... Uh, yeah, I mean, I love Weird Al, but it was it was such a a wide spectrum of like weird little Weird Al, Kevin McDonald. Yeah, as you said, there's there's something for everyone. I yeah, uh, yeah. I liked Kirby Kirby Howell Baptiste. No, she's mm-hmm. gone mononymous. She's Kirby, just Kirby now. Oh. Uh, but Kirby showed up from the Good Place and uh, Stephen Root, Matt wait, and Bowen. <laughs> wait, who's Kirby from the Good Place? I don't know if you got far enough. Oh. She like works with um Oh, the Chidi. demons there, the No, she works with Cheaty like in the in the oh. school. Okay, yes, the no, university. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, I do know that. Yeah. Um sorry. And then obviously like the main cast from the movie that is all back is yeah. you know, Brie Larson and Jason Schwartzman and all these people whose names we haven't even said yet. Uh and of course, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost yeah. showing back up as like 
kind of their same characters from the Cornetto trilogy, right? right? Yeah. Like they're, they're playing like, security guards. <laughs> right. Yeah. A lot of security guards on the, what was it called? Toronto wood. Yeah. Um, now just like kind of final question and maybe you'll get so introspective that you won't actually be able to uh, put uh-huh. it into words, but the series ends with Scott Pilgrim grow like time traveling and we see his older self voiced by Will Forte <laughs> looking back on his concepts of romance and his relationship to relationships. And like, yeah. do you think that was referencing at all the show being like, we are now older, more mature oh, yeah. adults looking back at Scott Pilgrim. No, of course. Of course it was. And there's a lot of meta commentary there with just the timing of the show and all these characters growing up. And there's even, a, you know, it seems like a not too veiled reference to Brian Lee O'Malley's life personally. And, you know, mm-hmm. he had, he was married at the time and is now not married. And there's a joke in there about, about uh, the style of you know oh the when, art style yeah when future scott is showing past scott this vr version of like events of his life and then there's like a i love you ramona happy anniversary and he's like this style is completely different and he's like no it's not it's the same and he's like no it's changed <laughs> a lot this is not good art and it's like <laughs> i feel like it's brian probably making a joke at his own expense about how much his stuff changed over the years and his life changed you know personally and it's very clever and self-referential the whole thing i yeah it's it's a lot of fun um but yeah it's clearly like a big commentary on um everyone growing up and hopefully learning lessons or not and then being banished back (laughs) to the future (laughs) to learn more lessons (laughs) super old scott banished back to his weird little apartment that he's been hiding in he reminded me of the Liver King. Somebody listening is going to know what I'm talking the about. Liver King. <laughs> yeah, he's this like internet demon who. Ooh, yeah, eats that guy. Raw liver. Totally. Yes. And he, you did it, and he's oh, like man. talks about like being super swole and yeah. being a man. But he, um, <laughs> he was sorry. There's a video of him like telling his son how to like be a more alpha male and hit on a woman, but. Then you can tell in the video they're at Ground Zero in New York. Oh anyway, my God, that's right. You show me that. The design of this like incel future. Yeah. Scott Pilgrim is very much like someone who focused on getting physically fit so he could dominate. And it's pretty, that's pretty good. That's it's pretty very good. funny, especially when Ramon is like, yeah, like Wallace told me you'd just been like holed up for 10 years and you didn't even text me. Like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> And he's like, wait, was there a chance we could get back together? And she's like, no, not now, you idiot. Like, <laughs> it's very, and I mean, Will Forte's absolute perfect casting for just this unhinged, like, psychopath voice. His yeah. somewhat always at the verge of cracking, like, voice. A little just, bit last man on earth. A, oh, very much last man Deranged. on earth. Deranged. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he loves playing very pathetic characters, but. As we all know, Will is a big sweetheart. Well, <laughs> I enjoyed watching the cartoon. Uh, certainly, the whole thing is very much for people who, for whom the book and the movie are beloved. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, maybe you're like me. I bet there are listeners out there who watched it and were like, eh, this isn't for me. But you might find something 
else in the cartoon like I did. So on that, here, here. we will be right back to share some freakouts. Now it's time to talk about what's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us this past week. Ethan, what's your freakout? Oh man, let me tell you. <laughs> I am freaking out about Freakazoid. No, just kidding. Um, I do love Freakazoid. Yes. Cat's looking up on the wall <laughs> of our office that has a giant Freakazoid cell. A cell. Mercifully, it's not a giant cell. It's like a normal size. Yeah, it's like a normal size twelve field cell. Um, <laughs> but no, seriously, uh, I have been very much enjoying another. Oh, sorry, no, uh, a Max original, which is called Scavengers Reign. Um, I have meant to do a little bit more homework about this myself because I know that the people who made it had done like a short version of it, like a short film version of it, some years ago. That got a good response and then somehow parlayed that into being able to do a like 12 episode series on Max that's beautiful. Uh, it's a wonderful little sci fi horror story. It's very much like I haven't seen the movie in a little while, so I feel kind of embarrassed also that I hadn't rewatched this because, but anyway, my closest reference is that it feels very much like the movie Annihilation. Mm. tonally there's a lot of really creepy creatures in it it's it's about like a freighter ship in the future who crash lands on an alien planet that they're not supposed to be on so there's all these little groups of humans split up from the escape pods of the the down freighter ship that are just trying to like survive and get back to the ship and get off this planet um and it's got a lot of like kind of mobius like european mm. cartoon animation elements to it design wise it's like a big weird world that all the creatures kind of are connected and it's just got an incredible world building element to it um it's very well acted great sound design it's really creepy it's unnerving and mature yeah it's just a really beautiful spooky little series um not for children (laughs) um (laughs) Another great reminder that animation is a medium and not a genre. Amen. As I have learned over the years. Um, You know what I want to watch next, just since we're just talking about grown-up animation, is um, Morph Primal. Yeah. You showed me the first episode, but I really liked that. Yeah. Kendi Tartakovsky never disappoints. Well, as for me, my freakout is definitely more on the upsetting and infuriating us side of things. Uh. Um, I have linked in the show notes a couple of articles that just came out in the last few days. Uh, Anita pointed, pointed, uh, posted them in our little chat, and I was like, interesting. So one is a Kotaku article entitled, Dear Video Game Industry, Please Name a Woman. And uh, that is obviously a reference to the Billy on the Street uh, (laughs) clip. She goes, she references the clip more specifically in her article where he goes around New York with a dollar bill and says, for a dollar, please name a woman. And people struggle with that. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, I mean, basically this article is about how there's a lot of women, there's a lot more women now than ever who are working behind the scenes in the video game industry, but continually are just being left out of the conversation. Uh, she says that 
PC Gamer has a print issue that has come out and people have responded to it basically saying, uh, here's one quote, there are no women named in PC Gamer's list of influential voices over the past 30 years. Not one, wrote Dr. Rachel Cowart, research director at Take This. So just a very like, just a bummer of that, like, the more things change, the more they stay the same and how you'd think after so many years of people trying to make gains in all of the different industries that like video games just remains um, uh, one step forward, two steps back in some respects. Uh, And kind of relatedly, there's also an article linked in the show notes from Ars Technica. The headline is Pelosi attacker found guilty after pointing to Gamergate influence at trial. And this was a really interesting article for me because it's specifically about this case. Uh, I don't know if you remember when this man broke into Nancy Pelosi's house and uh, attacked her husband with a hammer. He, on the record and in the trial, said that like Gamergate was one of the reasons that led him down that road. So this Ars Technica article goes a little more specifically into like he was gaming, he went online, he was looking for more resources, articles, videos, blogs, whatever about about gaming and just kind of fell into the Gamergate world and how that turned into QAnon and conspiracy theories and being completely obsessed with these pundits. Um, so yeah. it's just a real, again, these are two like really frustrating articles to read but uh they're so relevant to the feminist frequency radio audience and community so i just wanted to shout them out and post those links for you um but i'm just gonna why i should pick something 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 more pleasant just to bring us into the home stretch of this episode have you already Um, talked about welcome to rexham no, I haven't talked about Welcome to Rexham. I feel like sometimes I talk about sports on the uh, fortnightly freakout, and it's clear that I am an enth- enthusiastic and ignorant in a lot of ways with sports, which I feel like most sports fans are. Um, but yes, I do like Welcome to Rexham. Its second season just had a very lovely conclusion. Um, and I just saw May, December in theater. So maybe next week in the fortnightly freakout, I'll talk more about that because it is a trip. And I saw it in theaters, but by the time the next episode comes out, it'll probably be out on Netflix. That is our show for today. Thank you, Ethan, for joining me. Where can our listeners learn more about you? I'm everywhere. Not everywhere. I'm at Twitter, sorry, X or whatever. <laughs> uh, Instagram primarily uh, at Ethan C. Harper, E-T-H-A-N-C-H-A-R-P-E-R. And should anyone want any Twin Peaks, Gravity Falls, Um, Clone High merch for the holiday season, where should they go? I sell my clever little goods on my Etsy shop. In my Etsy shop, which is uh, etsy.com slash shop slash unpainted huffheins. That's H-U-F-F-H-I-N-E-S. Unpainted Huffheins. Please let us know if you understand the reference to that, because I sure do. Yes, Uh, please. 
It's a delight. We'll I'll I'll put the link to your Etsy in the show yeah. notes as well. Yeah. Um, I'm Kat Spada. You can find me at cat underscore ex underscore machina on Twitter. Please be sure to follow Feminist Frequency at femfreak. If you are a Patreon subscriber, please be sure to a join us in the Discord. It's a lot of fun in there. And stick around for the bonus episode where Ethan and I will be talking about the Marvels. If you like this podcast, please help other people find it by subscribing, rating, and commenting on your favorite podcast app. Thanks, Ethan. Thanks, listeners. Thank you. See you next week. Bye. Bye.